Now, brothers and sisters, if you will, take out your Bibles with me and open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 8, here in just a moment. As you're turning there, I want you to think about something with me. Picture yourself sharing the gospel with someone who does not know Jesus. You're sitting down, maybe across coffee, with someone who doesn't know Christ, and you're sharing the gospel with them. You're telling them the good news of Jesus. And let's say you were to say this sentence. I'm going to leave the last word of the sentence off, and I want you to think about what would you say? How would you finish this sentence if you were sharing the gospel with someone? You say to them, if you give your life to Jesus, your life will be blank. How would you finish that sentence if you were sharing the gospel with someone? If you give your life to Jesus, your life will be blank. What would you say? Joyful? Happy? Victorious? Exciting? Fulfilling? Free from pain and suffering? <clears throat> but what if I told you that if you follow Jesus, your life will get harder? If you follow Jesus, your life will get harder. You know, if I was a salesman, I don't think I would find much success with a message like that, would I? Have you ever had a job where you didn't actually believe in the product that your company was selling, but you got a paycheck, so you had to, had to kind of act like you did? You ever had a job like that? I have. Customers would call, customers would come in, and I would do... My duty, I would tell them about the product because I'm getting my paycheck from that company. That's what I need to do. I don't want to get fired. But you know what I really wanted to say to every customer that came into that job? What I really wanted to say is, you know what? You should go to the other store across the street and get their stuff because you'll be a lot more happy with that. Right? I wanted to say that. I, I wouldn't have bought the product that we were trying to sell myself if I didn't work there. I didn't believe in it. Well, that's a good way to get fired, right? Well, in the same way, if you're a preacher trying to get people to come to Jesus Christ, is it smart to stand up here and say, if you come to Christ, your life's going to get harder? Well, the difference between preaching and sales is I don't have a choice. I can't make this sound better than it is. That does no honor to God, and that does not help the people who hear. It's true. If you come to Jesus... If you give your life to Jesus, your life in some ways will get harder. But you know what's also true? It's worth it. It is so worth it. We're going to see that this morning. Look at our text with me. Paul's words to us and God's words to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 8. <clears throat> Paul writes, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings, and would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted, 
and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Now, I want you to see something from our text this morning. It's not readily apparent as you read this text here in 1 Corinthians, but Paul is being sarcastic here. Yes, there is sarcasm in the Bible every now and then, not some of the cynical sarcasm that, that we often use today in our everyday speech, but there is sarcasm in the Bible every now and then. Paul utilizes it right here. Look at verse 8 and think with me about how, how he's being sarcastic. Verse 8, he says, Already, you Corinthians, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings. Paul is talking about having a comfortable life without Jesus. A comfortable life without Jesus. That's what Paul is talking about here. And as he is being sarcastic to them, he's speaking to them in terms of people who are enamored with worldly wisdom. Remember our sermons previously in 1 Corinthians. These Corinthian believers, they're enamored with worldly wisdom. And they are apparently boasting that they have done quite well for themselves. And so Paul says, wow, it seems like you have everything you need and everything you could ever want. So why would you need teachers? Why would you need pastors? Why would you need Jesus? That's what Paul's saying. You've already got everything you need. You've already got everything you want. If you're already so comfortable and so well set up, why would you need Jesus? Look at verse 10. Now he's contrasting he and the apostles with the Corinthians, but he says about them, well, you're so wise. You're so strong. You're held in honor. You've already got it all. Now let's think about ourselves this morning. Let's think about ourselves. You might be considered wise among your sphere of influence. You might be considered strong. You might be held in honor. But Paul is telling us, God is telling us this morning, if Jesus is just an add-on to your nice, respectable, comfortable life, and why do you even need him at all? Do you need Jesus this morning? Or is he just nice to have around? That's the question. That's the real question this morning. Do you need Jesus? Or is it just nice to keep him around? Do you need him today? You see, the, the coronavirus shutdown has exposed this in the hearts of a lot of people. You see, before the, the pandemic hit, there were those who came to church because that's what good people do. Every Sunday they come to church, but because that's what good people do. There were those who came to church because that's what our family does on Sundays. It's a tradition. We go to church, we go out to eat, or we have a nice family lunch together. And there were those who came to church because if they sat in once a week in a church service, they could live the rest of the week not feeling so guilty about it. Because I sat in church for an hour this week. Before the pandemic hit, there were many people who came to church for these reasons. But then the pandemic hit, and we had to stop gathering for almost three months, at least here. In other parts of the world, it's been different. Some 
longer than us. And now, these people are saying, wait a second. I didn't attend church for three months, and nothing changed. In fact, it was nice to stay home on Sunday mornings with no guilt. Why should I start going back now? Church was just something I was doing to please others or to ease my conscience. So what's the point? Now, it's important to say here that there are those of us in our church and in churches all across America, there are those who are staying away from gatherings like this for health reasons. They've got immune systems that are compromised. They literally cannot risk it. Okay, and we understand that. That's not what we're talking about this morning. That happens in our church. That happens in churches all across America. But for some, and this is not just in our church, this is in churches all across America, for some, the shutdown has exposed this view of Jesus in people's hearts. Jesus was a nice little add-on to their already comfortable lives. And my friends, if that's all he is, pretty soon with the way our culture is going, people are going to stop and they're going to start saying, why am I still pretending? I don't really need Jesus at all to live the life I'm living. You see, Jesus never said to us, give me a 10% share in your life, and in return, I'll make all your guilty feelings go away. You're not going to find that anywhere in the Bible. When we become a Christian, or, or think about when we baptize someone here at the church, we have them repeat that good confession that Peter made to Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, right? And then we add this typically. We say, and I take him now as what? As my Lord and Savior. Not just Savior, but Lord, Master, Commander, the Lord of my life. I take him now as Lord and Savior. See, when you're signing up to follow Jesus, you're signing up to give away control of your life. He is your Lord when you come to him. Not just your Savior, but we've got a lot of people, especially in Bible Belt America, who call themselves Christians, that might as well have said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I take him now as my rainy day fund. I take him now as my status symbol. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I take him now as my therapist. I take him now as my once-a-week pick-me-up. I take him now as icing on the cake of my already nice life. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I take him now as my family tradition. You see, a lot of people want Jesus as their Savior, but not everybody wants him as their Lord. Is Jesus your Lord this morning? Not just your Savior, but your Lord. Now, we talked about there, and Paul talked about in our, our text here, that you can have a comfortable life without Jesus. But if you come to Jesus, it gets harder. Comfortable lives without Jesus, but now we've got hard lives with Jesus. Look at verses 10 through 13 with me in your text once again. Remember, Paul's talking about himself and the apostles, but we can identify with this, or at least we should be able to identify with this. Paul says in verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake. And what he means by that is they're looked upon by the world as fools. They're fools. They're considered weaklings. 
People who follow Jesus are considered the scum of the earth. Paul and his apostles, Jesus' apostles, they had a hard time finding the necessities of life, he says in here. He says we had a hard time finding food, shelter, and clothing. And on top of that, when they were insulted, they were compelled to follow Christ's example and not defend themselves or insult back. In fact, they blessed the people who cursed them. This is what it means to follow Christ, to be willing to share in Jesus' suffering, to share in Jesus' persecution. Jesus says a student is not above his teacher. If he suffered in these ways, who are we to think that we can get out of that? Who are we to think that Jesus did all the suffering and then we just get to coast? We just get to have a comfortable life with Jesus on the side, and when we get up into heaven, we stand before God on Judgment Day, we're just going to pull Jesus out of our back pocket? Like he's been there all along, but we, we never needed him until now? It's not the way it works. Jesus does not call you to a life of comfort, but a life of sacrifice. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Think about Jesus on the road to be crucified, carrying his cross. And with that picture in your mind, understand Jesus says, take up your cross. You wake up every day and you take up your cross and follow Jesus. If anyone would come after Christ, that's what he has to do. If you're going to throw your lot in with Jesus, you better count the cost. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German pastor in the time of the rise of Adolf Hitler, once wrote in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. You're signing up for this when you follow Jesus. We're not going to sugarcoat it. Following Jesus means willingly accepting hardship, persecution, and insult. In 1948, an evangelical minister in the country of Romania named Richard Vermbrand publicly said Christianity and communism were incompatible. You might say, what's the big deal? Well, it was 1948. It was Romania. If you know anything about post-World War II Romania and the Soviet Union and life behind the Iron Curtain, saying anything like that against communism in a public way was inviting trouble on yourself. It was punishable by the state. And indeed, Richard Vermbrand was put in prison for that and kept in prison for 14 years. And he wrote a book about his experience when he finally got out and came to America. It's called Tortured for Christ. And that's not an exaggeration of a title. He was tortured for Christ for 14 years. I'd encourage you to read the book sometime, but in that book, here's a quote from it. Richard Vermbrand said, It was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching. So we accepted their terms. It was a deal. We preached, and they beat us. We were happy preaching, and they were happy beating us. So everyone was happy. You sign up for it. This is what we sign up for. I'm not saying you have to go out here and get tortured today. 
But we accept persecution. We accept ridicule. We accept being looked upon as fools for Christ. We accept insult. We share in Christ's sufferings, Paul says in Philippians 3. Now you might say, okay, John, I, I see this text. I see that Paul and the apostles had trouble finding food, clothing, and shelter. And so is it wrong for me to have food in my fridge? Is it wrong for me to have outfits in the closet? Is it wrong for me to have a, a home to go to after we leave this place? Well, no, it's not what Paul's saying. But here's what Jesus requires. Listen to this. Here's what Jesus requires. Luke 14, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus doesn't say, oh, um, there, there's Christians, and then there's radical Christians who renounce all that they have. And, and they're going to get a really good reward in heaven. The rest of you are just going to get to heaven, but you, know, you might not get as much reward. That's not what he says. What he says is, you cannot be his disciple if you do not renounce everything for him. Renounce. That means detach your heart from everything in this world for Jesus. If you don't, you can't be a disciple. We must detach our hearts from everything. Yeah, you can, you can have stuff, but it's not your stuff. It's God's. You can have a home. You can have shelter. You can have food and clothing. It all comes from God. You're just a steward of God's things. We've got to detach our hearts from all of our worldly attachments for Christ if we want to follow him. This is not radical Christianity. This is base level requirements here. Lowest common denominator stuff. If you want to follow Jesus, nothing can be more important in your heart than him. Now, we all struggle with this. Every single one of us should hear that and be cut to the heart because we all have things that we're tempted to make more important than Jesus. We all struggle with loving the world too much. But this is what Jesus is calling you to. This is what you sign up for. You must be willing to be considered a fool if you want to follow Christ. How many of us shrink from talking to people about Jesus because of what they will think of us? How many of us find ourselves subtly hiding our Christianity, not making such a big deal about it because of what people will think of us? We have to be willing to be held in disrepute. We must forsake everything for Christ. You remember the story of the rich young man who came up to Jesus and said, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, keep the commandments. And Jesus lists off just a few of the Ten Commandments. And the young man responds, foolishly, I think, all these I have kept since I was a boy. What more do I still lack? And Jesus says, if you would be perfect, go and sell all your possessions. Give the money to the poor, and then come and follow me. What happened? The young man went away sad because he had great possessions. He was not willing to part with them for the sake of Jesus. Now, you read that story and then you think, okay, does that mean I must take everything I have and sell all my possessions to follow Christ? Does that mean you can't follow Christ unless you sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then just go following him? Not necessarily. What Jesus did right there is he looked into that young man's heart and he saw the one thing that would keep him from following Jesus. And he drew a line in the sand, and he says, you've got a cross 
You've got to cross over this line. This is what it takes. Are you willing? And he wasn't willing. And so here's the question this morning to you is, if Jesus was face to face with you this morning, what would he ask you to give up to follow him? And it wouldn't be easy. Right? He'd be asking you to give up the thing that, that would be hardest for you to give up for him. He's not going to say, hey, if you want to come follow me, just give up chocolate for Lent. No, that's not what we're doing. What would Jesus say to you? Perhaps for you it would be, sell everything you have and give to the poor and then come follow me. Perhaps for you that's what it would be. But perhaps it would be something else for you. Perhaps Jesus would look at you and say, if you would follow me, renounce your family. Quit your job. Give up all your friends. Leave your life of comfort for a life of hardship. What would Jesus ask me to give up if he were right here in front of me looking into my heart? Because I'm here to tell you it wouldn't be easy. We must renounce everything. We must give up our attachments in our heart to everything we want to follow him. We must treasure Christ above everything if we want to be his disciple. Now we looked at comfortable lives without Jesus. We looked at how following Jesus can make your life harder. But now I want you to see that it's worth it. It's worth it. You sign up to follow Jesus, you better count the cost. But it's worth it a hundred times out of a hundred. It's worth it every time. In Romans 8.18, Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. No matter what suffering you are going through, no matter what suffering you might go through if you really follow Jesus, it is not worth comparing with the glory that's on the other side. Which would you rather have? Ninety years of comfort on this earth, followed by an eternity of torment and suffering, or 90 years of hardship, followed by an eternity of pleasure and joy and satisfaction. Which would you rather have? Well, when you put it like that, every single one of us would choose the latter, right? It's easy. That's an easy choice when you put it like that. But there are all kinds of people choosing the former today. Why? Because ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. If I don't think about what's coming, I, I don't have to deal with it. I can just live for the here and now. I can just live for gratification instantly. I can stop my ears and close my eyes and go la, 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 and pretend eternity's not coming. There are millions of people doing that today. But we've got to face up to it. We've got to face up to what's coming. You ever walk around your house and you see a problem with the house and you're like, that's, that's an issue. It's not just a little thing. That, that's an issue and it could turn into a bigger thing. But I'm just going to keep walking. I'm just going to act like that's not there. Ignorance is bliss. If I don't think about it, if I don't look at it, if I don't say anything about it, then I don't have to deal with it until you actually have to deal with it, right? Don't be like that with eternity, with your salvation. It's too important. Face up to what's coming. Because guess what? You don't know when it's coming. Face up to what's coming because you don't know when. You don't know when it will be your last day on the earth. You don't know when Jesus will come back. So we've got to face up to it. We've got to look it square in the face 
and reckon with God before it's too late. Reckon with Christ before it is too late. Which would you rather have? People being ashamed of you now or God being ashamed of you at the judgment day and no second chance? Which would you rather have? Remember, Jesus said, what good would it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Now, in light of what we've just heard from the Lord, we're going to give you a a couple minutes here in silent prayer and reflection to respond to God, to reckon with Him, to respond privately to what we've just heard in whatever way the Holy Spirit is convicting you. Dwayne's going to come and play for us softly for just a few moments, and we're going to respond to Jesus and respond to God's Word in our hearts in prayer. And then after a few minutes of private response, we're going to give a time of public response. But uh, before that, let's respond privately in prayer right now.